so excited to preach today. I feel like this sermon is pregnant with life change for you. I feel like God is wanting to meet you right where you are today. I think that if you want to, you can walk away from here and do nothing with it. But if you will, God wants to meet you, speak to you, and put your feet on some solid ground today. Maybe you came in to one of our locations, you're watching at our online campus, and you feel like your feet have slipped. There's good news today. That's what we're talking about. We've been going through bit by bit the Lord's Prayer. And we've said it like this, that every phrase is a thread that weaves together the fabric of biblical doctrine into one single prayer. You don't understand where you're headed in prayer unless you understand who you're praying to, our Father. And if you understand his identity, you know yours. If he's the Father, we're the kids. If he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. Hallowed be thy name. He's not just useful, he's beautiful. He's holy, he's good, he's big. He's bigger than you, he's mightier than you. This day, our daily bread, that it's meant to be every single day we go for him and we don't worry about what tomorrow might bring. We rely on him for this moment. Not my kingdom come, not my will be done, but his will be done. That in order to really understand forgiving other people, we need to know just how much he's forgiven us. And if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, and this is the finale of this series, I invite you to make some time to download the podcast, watch on Vimeo, check out timbercreekchurch.com. I think it'll be helpful for you because this isn't just something we do out of religious tradition, but praying the Lord's Prayer every day, the, the, the crux of it, the, the depth of it, the doctrine behind it will, will help you become who you're supposed to become and help you do what you're supposed to do as a Christ follower. Today we end with the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And basically what we're praying when we pray this prayer, we, we are praying the prayer, Lord, help me with the evil in me and help me with the evil around me. See, we all have this evil in me, this drive, this pride, selfishness, covetousness, uh, wanting to covet my neighbor's jet ski and my neighbor's wife who's on the jet ski. That inside thing that, that, that drives you towards that potential affair, the thing that drives you towards that lie, that, 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 that gossip, that slander, that criticism, the thing inside you that we don't wanna be led into that. And also the stuff around me, that there is not only evil inside me, but there's evil around me. There are bands of spiritual raiders that desire to come against, against me in my life, in my home. And those bands of raiders, those guerrilla warfare mercenaries that are out to steal, kill, and destroy, they, they can look like a lot of different things. Evil has a face around uh, our world. It looks like cruelty and violence and greed. It looks like strife relationally and maritally. It looks like racism and, and crime. Evil is all around us. And here's what our culture wants to sell you, and I want to tell you, it's a lie. Culture wants to sell you the idea that everything has a natural cause and a natural explanation. 
that if, if we do this, this is the response. If, then propositions. That everything boils down to, I did this, I, uh, it, it boils down to this. If you weren't raised right, then this is gonna add on to this, add on to this, add on to this. And, and, and some of that can be true, but it's not everything. You weren't educated right. You know, had you just had better parents, had you just had a better help up, help up, had you just had the right education, so, so you, bad social systems is what did this to you, and so the poor get keeping, get, or they keep getting poor because of the social system, and rich keep getting richer because of the policies, and so if we can just change our policies, if we can change our president, if we can change this, if we can change the House, if we can change Congress, we, if we can do all these things, then, then we can maybe get better results because all this evil, we, we we say we can fix it. And we've been trying forever to fix things that have existed forever. And the truth is when we pray this prayer, it recalibrates the realities of our life. When we pray the Lord's prayer and we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer isn't fix temptation and evil because it's gonna exist. The prayer is, lead us not and deliver us from not just bad decisions or whoopsies, but deliver us from evil. So in order for us to have a conversation today about delivering us from evil, uh, we need to ask some questions about it. Because in a room this size online, Nagadochus, Dieball, Duncan, our perspectives of evil our understanding or definitions of evil can be jaded or skewed. And so here's what we do every Sunday at Timber Creek Church. We wanna come back down to the word of God. It's a choice that the word of God would be the moral compass for every decision we make, every piece of our character, our conduct, and our convictions would come from the word of God as that foundation and that moral compass. And so we go to the word to understand evil. So the first question, where does it come from? The word of God is clear where evil comes from. Your mother-in-law. No, no, no. <laughs> no, just mine. Uh, evil, just kidding. She's sweet. 70%. 70% <laughs> Where does evil come from? It comes from the free will of the two races God made. And one of those races ain't the rat race. Those two races are the angelic race and the human race. And we read through the Old Testament and New Testament, Ezekiel and also in Daniel and Isaiah, that Lucifer, the chief worship leader of the angels, that he got it in his mind that he would want to have some of the worship too. He was designed, the angels were designed to surround the throne and simply say, holy, holy, holy. There's more theology beyond that with, with understanding angels. And, but Lucifer was the chief worship pastor. Watch out for those worship pastors. <laughs> and those, the Lucifer, he began to allow a little pride. He began to allow seeds of pride to enter his heart. And he started wanting to get some of that worship too. And it may not have been so like immediate. If it was like anything we deal with, he may have sent out a couple tweets, you know, just blessed to be a blessing here in heaven. Glad to be able to worship our Lord today. Hashtag blessed, hashtag humbled, hashtag follow me here. 
Hashtag buy my new album. Before you know it though, he wanted to take the worship. And it did not take God to have a board meeting with he, the son and the Holy Spirit. He did not have to pull in Gabriel and Michael. Jesus says it like this in the gospels. He says, like lightning, the enemy was sent from heaven. He fell from heaven because that rebellion, that, that, that lack of holiness, that selfishness, that sin will not stand in the presence of an almighty, holy God. And so where does evil come from? You can write it down like this. Evil was birthed out of a rebellious heart. And it wasn't just Lucifer, a fallen angel. It was also this fallen angel who then in the form of a serpent tempts and invites Eve to do the same. And Adam, you can be like God. You can make your own decisions. You can have wisdom. You, you think God, I mean, you think God wants all this just because like you don't have to be down here. You can be like God. It's the exact same thing that the enemy was attracted to and Eve got attracted to. And evil is birthed out of a rebellious heart that says, I want to be God. I want to sit on the throne of my decisions and my life. Sin is not the act I commit, it's the authority I reject and it's the authority of almighty, loving, holy, hallowed be his name, God. Where does evil come from? A rebellious heart. As long as there is humans on the face of the planet, there will be evil because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken, hurting world. So who do we fight? If, if evil comes from the reality of two, two races, who is it that we're fighting with this whole idea of, of evil? The apostle Paul says it like this in the book of Ephesians. He says, well, our struggle isn't just against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what Paul is saying is it isn't, it's not against flesh and blood by itself because we know you're gonna fight against flesh and blood. But there is another piece at work. It's flesh and blood and something greater because it's not just our flesh and blood by itself. There is something greater always under the surface. There are spiritual forces of evil. Other translations of the Lord's prayer would say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And understanding that it's not just a, a, a um, fog that we fall into, but that there is a, a strategy. There is a, a, a leader of the demonic. There is spiritual darkness that we come against. Now, when I say that, there are some that may go, really? I mean... Isn't that little, little Harry Potter? Isn't that little hocus pocus? Hey, don't you bring Harry Potter into this. That got me through middle school. <laughs> if you struggle with the idea of a real devil, you know Harry Potter's just the gateway to, to you know, witchcraft. That's <laughs> what I grew up with. And the Smurfs. Smurf, you start watching the Smurfs, you're gonna be dealing heroin when you're 19. That's basically what my parents, that's what my parents, you know. The gateway to marijuana was watching the Smurfs. If you struggle with the idea of a real, anybody else live in that kind of Christian home? <laughs> yeah, three of us, okay. 
If you struggle with the idea of a real devil, I just wanna say to you, when you think that like, oh, come on, you actually may be the one that is simplistic. If you can wrap your mind around a holy God, you should be able to wrap your mind around an evil spiritual being. Uh, another, another thing is you may actually be culturally narrow in your perspective. Remember that America is 4% of the world's population. That other 96%, the bulk majority, the heavy majority understand spiritual darkness. And it's not because they haven't evolved. It's because they understand culture too. We just love, for us, for us, we think that everything comes against our own psychological thing. And if we just kind of think it through and, and, and there's an, an importance for counseling an importance for, for therapy, I, I have a counselor. Uh, I, I talk to a counselor. There, there, there's, that's important and valuable and you ought, to, you ought to have one. But if you think that it's just us and there's not a spiritual target, you, you, you're culturally narrow in your perspective of reality. And the truth is until you wrestle with not just flesh and blood, but something greater, you won't be able to understand, let alone defeat the darkness in you and your own family without recognizing the real enemy. Now there are two errors that, that are at play with you and with me. These errors can be at work in our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our decision-making, when no one's looking, when everyone's looking, in our boardroom, in, 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 in our vehicle, you name it, there's two errors we make all throughout life, and it's this, we underestimate the enemy, and then we overestimate the enemy. We, we fall into one or two camps when he's inviting us to have a little tension between the two to kind of be in the middle of it, the messy middle. And so we underestimate the enemy by saying, nah, that's hokey. You know, you, you see the enemy is like, he's in a red spandex wrestling outfit with the pitchfork and a, and a you know, real thin goatee that's at a point and a handlebar mustache. And he goes, Burr. and he's just taking palm fronds and covering up a hole and he's just waiting for you behind a bush. And you underestimate, nah, he's just kind of a hocus pocus fairy tale kind of thing. It's not a big deal. I don't need to worry about it. Now, then there are those of you that overestimate the enemy. And that's like, oh my God, I can't believe I lost my job. The devil's against me. The devil's against me. You hadn't shown up on time for three months. You lost your job because you hit the snooze bar, Doug. The devil. Devil's attacking me. I got no money. Oh, I'm all in debt. No, you keep using the credit card, Susie. Stop. Stop it. Cut that thing up. Oh, devil's against me. The blender's demon possessed. My refrigerator enemy. I cast out that demon in that fridge and I call forth the cold ice yet again. No, you need a, you need a repair man. That's what you need. You need a prayer. You need a repair. That one down, all right, that one down. <laughs> and and, and here's, what, here's where I'm inviting you to go, not to one side or the other. I'm inviting you to realize depression can, can be driven by chemical, uh, mental things. And by talking with someone, um, maybe even offsetting some chemical with taking a prescription can bring us into balance and we give honor to God for giving us the, the wisdom to go see and to talk to someone. 
Depression can also be demonic and be oppressed. And we don't just prescribe everything and we don't just cast out everything. We go to God every day who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And God, you're the one that leads us not. In fact, Psalm 23, which is a beautiful parallel, it's almost like the reflection of the Lord's prayer in the Old Testament. Like as you would see a picture of trees and you see the reflection of the trees in the water. Psalm 23 in the Lord's prayer our Father who art in heaven, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Lead us not into temptation. There's this beautiful reflection between Psalm 23 and the Lord's prayer. The truth is he wants to lead us in paths of righteousness. Lead us not into that temptation. So don't underestimate him. Don't overestimate him, but understand it's flesh, it's blood, and it's something greater. So what do we fight then? If there is evil and we're fighting spiritual darkness, the enemy, what do we fight? What is it that we're up against? And it's this, it's the devil's strategies. They, they, he is not a uh, roll, it, roll it out and just see what happens. He's not a twiddle your thumb kind of enemy. He is strategic. He has, the Bible says, schemes that we're to stand against the devil's schemes. He is scheming, conniving. He's thinking. He prowls around thinking about one thing and only the one thing, how to destroy you, how to get you to have a rebellious heart too. How to get you to rebel just like him. The devil's strategies. But if you underestimate him or you overestimate him, you're gonna start looking to him as some kind of evil creature, like a vampire that gets into bat mode and comes into your window at night and just wants to suck the blood out of you. And it's some kind of weird, kooky thing. I wanna to say to you, Satan doesn't leave fang marks on the flesh. That's not how he operates. He leaves lies in your heart. This is how he sucks the life out of you. He leaves lies in your heart. It's the lies of the enemy that want to cause you to rebel against God, to lead you into temptation and into evil. The book of James is written towards the end of the New Testament, and the author says it like this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It may be your neighbor has a different desire than you have, that the enemy is crafty and he doesn't use one size fit all schemes and strategies for everybody. What may be an issue for you, it may be a different issue for someone else, but he is a master fisherman. This is Sam Rayburn country right here in Lufkin. Lured and enticed. This is, this is what it looks like. The enemy, he's crafty. He knows where the fish are and he knows, I've been, I've been fishing several different places over the last few years, got to fish on an excursion in Alaska a few years ago, got to go on an anniversary on Janet, celebrating Janet's, uh, her um, 3011th, her 3011th birthday um, in, in uh, uh, Hawaii, we got to go on a fishing excursion. Um, went to Utah for a summer vacation, went on a fly fishing excursion. I didn't catch anything. Not single one of those trips. My kids are all woo, reeling it in. Janet's like, oh, I don't want to touch it. Getting that fish, hanging on to that fish. 
I mean, it, it, it make me sick. So I, I just don't, I, I, I got a curse. You don't want to go out with me and fish. So the enemy though, he doesn't, he, he knows what kind of lure. When we went fly fishing, he had, he had a, a, a tackle box, like a fanny pack tackle box that had like 50 different kinds of flies in there. He said, well, let's try this one. This might be what's biting. Let, let's try this. And the enemy has got that fanny pack tackle box, knows what kind of flies you're attracted to. So for you, it may be, ooh, ooh Nestle Crunch, <laughs> right? It could be that. Some of you, it may not be the, the sugar. It may be the sugar, <laughs> the money, the lettuce. It's not the sugar, it's the lettuce, yeah. And the enemy sees you and he knows what, what, what kind of is in your heart. And uh, don't, don't take an eye out. Just like that, boom. I'm glad there's not a child in that. Uh, yeah, pull it off of there. Let it, let it get undone. Oh, see, you're so attracted to it. There you are. There you are. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And he goes, he goes, and he's patient. He can fish all day. That's why he just, he's fish all day for you. Knows your desires. Knows when nobody's looking. Knows when you're stressed. Knows when you're at your weak point. Knows when you're susceptible. Knows what's coming up. Knows the kind of lies he wants to use to get you to nibble on that lure. And when he gets you, when he's, when he's got you, before you know it, you're in the fight for your life. You're in the fight for your life. Now, I wish it were that simple. Just a Nestle crunch and a dollar bill. The truth is, this is kind of how we're living life in 2020. It's like, it's like you wake up and you are surrounded everywhere you look. Take this, drink this. Make sure you get the accolades from your boss. This, I don't even, you know. <laughs> Let, let's be honest, lust is real. Lust and the addictions and I don't know what we, let's see what we got back here. We got the stuff and the money and the cigarettes and whatever the addiction that you just can't break on your own and the enemy just wants to beat you down and tempt you. The truth is though, I want you to hear, we get so focused on all of these things like that's the sin, like, like that's the issue. Remember, the sin isn't the act, it really boils down because if you could behavior modify your way to heaven, it would be all about what you could do, what you would stop acting like. And even though faith without works is dead and we're called to pursue holiness, the truth is it's not about the act. All of a sudden then we say, well, that was a little act. This is a big act. It's all about the authority I'm rejecting in my life. And those lures aren't so much about the lust or the loot or the ladies or the licorice, whatever you say. It may not be all about those things. The enemy kind of compiles them into two categories. They're on your notes. Let's write these down. The first thing he uses is right there in the scripture. Lead us not into temptation. Temptation. And here's how he tempts us. 
Here's how temptation works, write it down. The enemy offers a high view of God's mercy. Only one time's not gonna hurt anything. You're a normal person, not a big deal. He offers a high view of how good God's grace and mercy is, and he wants to hide from your view God's holiness. So you can be a Christ follower and be enticed and lured because you have a high view of God's grace and love and forgiveness and a hidden view of God's holiness. He's crafty. He's crafty. And here's what that looks like. I rationalize sin as virtue. In other words, I'm not gossiping. I'm just concerned. I'm just talking to you about, I don't know what I should do. And should I talk to them? And you've talked to seven other people. Hey, let's have a, let's have a prayer meeting over at my house. I want to talk about Belinda because, oh my God, can you believe what she did? <laughs> I'm concerned. Let's pray. I'm concerned. You're a, you're a gossiping fool is what you are. And I didn't call you that. God did. Fools, just fools trying to run around like that. I rationalize sin as a virtue. I'm concerned, you know. I overstress the mercy of God. God loves me. I've been working so hard. I deserve this. I deserve to feel God will understand. Everybody will understand. I, I, I overstress the mercy of God. You know what else happens when we are tempted? We become bitter over suffering. I've gone through all this junk God didn't rescue me from it. I'm having to go through this, this season of a valley, this hell on earth. I'm, I'm, at least I wanna feel good through it. I'm, you know what? This is not the marriage I signed up for. I'm just gonna do it my way. God will forgive me. God will be okay. He'll understand. And, and you have a high view of God's mercy and you should have, but you have lost sight of God's holiness. God will forgive me. He understands. And you're missing the holiness of God because that evil is birthed out of a rebellion, a rebellious heart. I justify one part of my life over another. I mean, I know, you know, this is like the mafia, you know, go bury that, go, go bury that three bodies in the forest. We got to get to church. <laughs> you know, we got to go kiss our moms and go to that wedding and kiss them and give them, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. And you're taking care of them and you're taking care of them. And you're justifying one part of your life by also, you know, genuflexing and, and, and putting your church in on a Sunday and then mm, mm, putting your groove in on a Saturday. High view of God's mercy. Low view of God's holiness. He's called us to be separate, to be set apart, to be in the world, but not of the world. But this is the other side that other Christians deal with. One will deal with temptation. The other one deals with accusation. Now here's what accusation is. Accusation is the enemy offering you a high view of God's holiness with a low view of God's mercy and love. And you know what he uses to entice you? And while you get stuck and he reels you in, shame and guilt. And you walk in shame, regretting what you did because you see God is being mad at you and he's so holy and I can't believe I did that thing again. How can God, how will people, how will anybody? Ah. And what you do is you see your sin more than you see your savior. 
and the enemy chipping away, chipping away at you with accusation. You obsess over your past sins that have done damage that can't be undone. Okay, there was damage that can't be undone, but you're still obsessing and the enemy has you right where he wants you because you're not seeing the grace and the mercy and the truth. Though your sin be like crimson, I will wash it white as snow. It's a do-over. It's a clean slate. We need both. We need the grace and we need the hallowed be your name. I assume the trouble I face must be God's way of punishing me. God's way of punishing me. I wonder if Jonah, in the middle of a nasty, smelly stomach of a fish for three days, I wonder if he looked at it as God was punishing him. What he didn't realize God was rescuing him. You see, Jonah would have drowned that day. But it's what looked like something that got him out of the drowning and onto dry ground and into a second chance. Do you know that's how sometimes consequences operate? I did this, it's my fault. You're thrown overboard into the torrent of the weather of mistakes. And there will be consequences, but God doesn't bring consequences to your life to destroy your life. He brings consequences to help you evaluate. See, people say that experiences are the best teacher. If I have experience, do they have any experience? Do they have experience? Do they, or should they get the job? Do they have any experience? Experience, there's a whole bunch of people that have a whole lot of experience and they're dumb as rocks. You, you know what I'm talking about because they have the experience over and over and over and they don't learn from it. They keep touching the hot stove and the hot stove's name is Randy. You gotta, you gotta stop messing with Randy, Paula. And what happens is experience doesn't teach you. Here's what teaches you. Here's the best teacher. Evaluated experience where you stop and you look and you evaluate the experience. I, I wonder if the judge stands there and has people that are criminals, did you learn, you know, they're gonna learn from this. Well, the experience isn't necessarily what they're gonna learn from. Hopefully they'll have time to evaluate the experience and determine, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change my friends. I'm going to go down a different path, not leading me down this way, but in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you know, you say, I think real Christians would probably never have the struggles or the feelings that I'm having. And so the enemy lures you in with the accusations of you never really were surrendered to God. You never really got the grace of God. God's not even real. What's even the point? You wouldn't even have struggled this if, if there was a God This is hocus pocus for you. Wake up, just live your life. Stop fighting your feelings. Your feelings lie to you. Your conscience is one of the worst enemies you can fight. Jiminy Crickets, Jiminy Crickets and Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Crickets, an idiot. Because sometimes your conscience says, go do that and have fun and your conscience is stupid. Because it's really the enemy. Zoom! 
pulling you in. Crickets cannot be trusted. So temptation and accusation, and we're supposed to take a stand against the devil's schemes. How do we do that? How, how, do, we, how do we fight our way out? We don't. How do we bite our bottom lip out? How do we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps to get out of this hole? How do we pick up the dukes and have a thwarted, twisted, misunderstood, misunderstood view of spiritual warfare? I'm going to Chuck Norris the devil. Like, like I'm going to be that way. And it's not about what you could do in yourself. That's the power of prayer. Prayer is the key to everything you should do and be. And so this is why Jesus places, lead us not into temptation, but delivers from evil. Because you and I, as followers of God, praying every day, we have the capacity to sin greatly. To go back to the same sin, the same experience. Evaluate it and, and do it again. And yet, God wants to give us a high view of his mercy and grace while also strengthening and giving us a high view of his holiness too. Both are God. So it's not how do you fight your way out. It's how to pray my way out. How do I pray my way out? And the scripture I read over you during worship was Psalm 73, and we find our author, Asaph, in the middle of having to pray his way out of a deep, dark temptation and accusation. And so there are four ways as we finish today, four ways to pray your way out of temptation and to be delivered from evil by the hand of a loving God. The first is this, you have got to admit the worst of the worst. Now, I don't mean on the hat, the temptation, that's the bigger temptation. I mean, underneath your sin is a sin you're committing against God. That's the deeper, that's the worst. And we see Asaph dealing with this. Watch what he says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He is, he is resolute, he is determined, he knows God's a good God. And he's good to those who are pure in heart. They have a high view of holiness towards God. But as for me, I got into a crazy funky place where my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I was going down a path I did not want to go down. Maybe I did want to go down, but I realized I shouldn't be here. My feet are going to a place where I ought not be going. And here was the path he was going down. It wasn't a lust path. It wasn't an addiction path. It wasn't a stealing path. Here was the path that was the worst of the worst for him. And it's the worst of the worst for us. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Bad people getting good stuff. How come? 
How come that's happening to that person? And I work so hard. I've read the Bible through eight times. I'm a preacher. I've got this. I've got, I serve on a dream team. I put my offering in the generosity box in the lobby. I do my part. And I envy the arrogant because they start getting stuff that I've been asking for. I'm not getting it. And here's what his, here's what his understanding becomes. Surely in vain. It's, all, it's not been worth it. I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence in vain. I've been trying to avoid all the stuff that my friends keep doing and they keep prospering and I'm trying to be a good follower of Christ, following the word of God as my moral compass and it ain't paying off. He's admitting the worst of the worst. And for you and for me, this is the worst of the worst. This is the worst. It, it may not feel as bad as that sin that we put on a pedestal as the big sins. But this is the worst of the worst. And you can place it in anything in your life. And it's this. I'm not getting what I want from God. God owes me and I'm not getting what I want from him. That's the Admission of the worst of the worst. Here's another way you say it. You, you may not say it, but this is, this is what's operating underneath the surface. Following you isn't paying off. You and I have to come to this realization at some point. Why do we give to the poor? Why do we go to church and lift up the name of Jesus? Why do we clothe the naked why do we love our neighbor as ourself? Because inside of us, there is that capacity. There is that opportunity and there is that evil. There is that evil that basically is saying, I thought that I would be taken care of if I took care of the poor. I thought I'd have what I need if I did the right thing. I thought God would bless me if I, was good to, if I was a good person, following you isn't paying off. And this is what Asaph is dealing with. I've been, I've been trying to follow you this whole time and they are getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. They're getting what they want. They're getting what I'm asking for. My question for you and me is, can we be that honest with God? Can we be that honest? He, he, let me say it this way. Let me say it this way. Did I get into the Christian faith for me to serve God or for God to serve me? Did I really bow a knee to Christ because I realized the depravity and the emptiness and the lostness? Or is this kind of just another Tony Robbins program? Is this just another way that I can help myself? And I want you to know, listen to me, I've been there. I've been there. And I can be there tonight at 7.32 p.m. When all of a sudden my life, there's something there and I'm tempted. Or I go through an accusation and the enemy poised and ready. to entice me in, to make it all about me, 
because evil is birthed out of a rebellious heart. The truth is, we've all been here. It's are we willing to admit the worst of the worst and, do, and let Jesus do something with it? Because that's not loving God. That's using God. That's God as a slot machine. Give me what I need. That's God as a crowbar. Get me out of this jam. That's God as a, as a winch to pull me out of the mud. It's me using God, not loving him. Admit the worst of the worst. We all have that capacity. Asaph realized it in vain. I have been vain. I have wanted stuff out of what makes it for me. And it's not been about you. It's been about me. And I've got to recalibrate. And what he does is he sees the whole, not the whole. He begins to see the whole, not the whole. And the truth is, he, he says, when I tried to understand all this, why do good things happen to bad people? It troubled me deeply. And he goes on from, from uh, verse three all the way down to verse 15. And he's talking about they get stuff. They, they get the, I mean, their wives are pretty. They got the money. They got the nicer boat. They, 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 they got the promotion. The boss is always talking to them. Uh, everybody likes their, their, their stuff on Facebook. And I didn't even get one comment about that. And he's saying it all. And I tried to understand all this and it troubled me deeply. And he is, all he's seeing is the hole. And the more he focuses on the hole, the bigger he digs the hole, the bigger he digs the hole. But he had to take himself and see the, see the hole. And he says, it all troubled me till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. Now, I, I could tease this out and put this in 21st century understanding of the sanctuary. Till I entered the sanctuary, till I walked through the brick and mortar doors of Timber Creek. And I think there's something powerful and important and special and reserved for being in person. Online campus, you're not a second class Timber Creeker. But there is something that you miss when you're not with us in the flesh. Um, you, you miss this, you, there's some things that we can't do in your living room that we can do together here. That's okay, you're in your living room, you're part of the campus, that's okay, die ball, Duncan, you don't get to be a part of all of the things in this sanctuary. But Asaph isn't talking about really this. When Jesus gets ticked off, a righteous anger, because the temple of God is filled with thieves trying to, trying to basically sell, sell salvation, sell uh, sacrifices. He makes a whip and he goes Indiana Jones inside the temple, Poof, kicking doors, Poof, kicking over tables. Whoopsh, whoopsh, dun, 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 dun. And the Pharisees come in and say, whoa, 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 Jesus. Who gives you the authority to come in here and do all this? Who gives you the right to do this? And he says, if, if this temple be knocked down and destroyed, I'll rebuild it in three days. He's not talking about the brick and mortar though. He's the temple. He's the temple. Then when he gives us his spirit, when we begin to follow him at salvation, he gives his spirit inside of us, the spirit of Jesus living in us, empowering us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Your bodies become the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. So till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. See, Asaph would have entered a physical building. He would have entered the sanctuary and here's what he would have seen. He would have experienced God's presence. He would have been around other people that could hear the, see the presence of God, worshiping, honoring, sacrificing. They would have been lighting candles. They would have been washing their hands preparing themselves to take another step into a holier place and a holier place and a holier place till they were face to face with a veil that they couldn't go behind, but behind was the holy of holies. And there was something about entering the sanctuary and going through a process of surrender and submission and sacrifice and cleansing. He would be in God's presence and it would make it, there's something powerful about gathering in God's presence. Don't wait on Sunday though. Don't wait for Sunday. Enter the sanctuary every day. That's why we pray it every day. We create the space for sanctuary. But not only would Asaph seen the, experience the presence of God, other people experiencing the presence of God, but he would have seen an altar caked with blood where the priest would then take Asaph's sins, Asaph would confess, and the animal would be sacrificed and the blood spilt on the altar because God said every, something has to die to cover sin. And that was their ritual. Something had to die every time sin was committed. And the Bible says that that would cover the sin. But Jesus came to take away the sin. And Asaph is in a limited experience in his sanctuary. Limited. Because he's in the Old Testament. He doesn't understand he doesn't understand what is going to happen. He doesn't understand that in the New Testament, there's gonna be an ultimate sacrifice. So you and I can learn that we grasp the magnitude of God's hand of grace. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I was a brute beast before you. Let me say something about love and grace. Animals will be affectionate towards you. If you turn on a Sarah McLaughlin song and you sing in the eyes of an angel, dogs will cry. It happens. It happens. But as much as you're a dog lover or a cat lover, I want you to know you're, cats and dogs are not made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. Their feelings are unbelievably limited. Their emotions are unbelievable. No, my dog loves me and I love my dog. Don't you dare talk different about it. Okay, that's fine. If you got a problem with it, write me a letter and send it to the Easter bunny, okay? So <laughs> what I'm saying to you is animals don't feel like we feel. They don't understand the depth of love like we understand love. And what Asaph is realizing is the grace of God that I've been a brute beast. I've been without the love of you. I've been, I've just, I've just been mechanical with you. I got bitter and this wasn't real. And then he reminds himself, I, was, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. It's love, it's love. Grasp the magnitude of God's hands, not that wants to slap you in the face with a belt, but God's hands of grace for you. He's holy and grasp his grace. Come here, Graham. Would you come here for a second? Help me out. This is my 12-year-old son, Graham Yancey. 
I surprised him in first service and, and now he knows the, what the gig is, but um, I love you. Um, can, let me just say a side note. Dads, if you grew up in a home where you didn't hear the words, I love you, change that trend. Change that trend. Well, I don't want to say it all the time. It loses its meaning. No, 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 no. Say it all the time. Say it as much as you can. Your kids' hearts are on record 24 hours a day, and they are recording a script. Some of that script is what you say or don't say. Write on their hearts the right words. Um, We say it like this. Every time we drop our kids off, now that Sage is driving, uh, we don't get to say it to her when she's dropped off, but we say it to her before she leaves. Um, We say, keep your hand in the hand of Jesus. See you later. Keep your hand in the hand of Jesus. Love you. And we say that because we want to make sure it's not just a tradition but it's a word picture that God isn't standing over us with his arms crossed. God goes with us. Jesus goes with us everywhere we go. And we can have our hand in the hand of Jesus. And the truth is, it is not Graham that is holding me by my right hand. I'm the one holding his hand. You did what? You didn't obey me. And we got to have talks, don't we? Obey the first time. Obey the first time. No, I know. I know that they get to do that. I know they're going and doing that. Get in the car. Stop asking for everything all the time. Aren't you thankful for what you do have? You want this and you want that? You got thousands of dollars on this and this and this and this and this and this and this. What? Those shoes cost how much? My first car didn't cost 200 bucks. 87 Ford Aerostar minivan that died every turn every time I turned left. Serious, every time I turned left at a green arrow, I had to put it in neutral and start it again. What were my parents thinking? I don't know. I don't know. When we sin. This isn't God. This is God. Here. This is God. And do you know what causes Graham to put his hand in my hand so quickly? Because he knows who I am. He knows I'm his dad. And that my hands, although they've had to discipline, he knows my hands are hands of love. And your father's hands are not hands of just holiness. They're hands of grace and holiness and grace. Grasp the magnitude of his love for you. When Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what he was really crying out? Do you know what he was really basically saying? I can't feel your hand because God allowed his son to take on 
separation from him and total sacrifice for you and for me so that you and I never have to know what it feels like to not be in the hand of God. I love you. So here's what I do. I admit the worst of the worst. Am I in this, God? Why am I in this? Bad things are happening. And am I rebelling against you because I wanted you to work a certain way? Are you still God in my heart? Are you still king or am I? I see the hole. I climb the mountain and I look and I say, oh, I see a bigger picture. And how do you climb the mountain? You get in the presence of God and he lifts us up. He places us in a viewpoint, a helicopter view, and you're stuck under the bus dealing with all the mechanics of your issues. And he wants to lift you up and above and say, no, 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 no. Let me carry you up this way. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. There's a a perspective you get when you embrace God for who he is. And then finally, finally, We grasp the magnitude and it helps us reorder the loves of our heart because the truth is those temptations and those accusations are a lot about our loves. See, if your marriage is the most important thing in your life, if it's the biggest love of your life, everything you get will come from that marriage. And so when your marriage doesn't provide what you want it to provide, faithfulness, intimacy, physical gratification. If my marriage doesn't provide what I want it to provide and it lets me down, I have reordered the loves of my heart to have something before God. If God is where I get my gratification, God is where I get my sustenance, God is where I get my daily bread, God is where I get my affection, God is where. Now, we see those things through our marriages. Guys, can you help me out, team? Hey guys, if you're, if you're here and you have something in front of God, the truth is you've got to reorder the loves of your heart. Here's what, here's what Asaph says. Whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire besides you. He's saying all this stuff doesn't matter. You're the most important thing. He says my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Go to God. So look, look what we do. Asaph was slipping, but Asaph chose to stand up, to deal with it. He began to climb to a higher perspective when he entered the sanctuary and he was soaring. And everybody, every day, when we pray our father, who he is, who I'm not. If he's a father, I'm a child. If he's the shepherd, I'm the sheep. He's holy, he's hallowed. He's gonna give me today what I need. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about yesterday. It's not even yesterday anymore, it's today. Give us today our daily bread. I gotta understand forgiveness that he forgave me of my great capacity to sin, so I forgive others. And when I was slipping, I could stand, I could run to him, he's a strong tower. I could climb to the vantage point of the presence of Jesus, giving me a perspective that is not my own. And he leads me not into temptation, but he is the deliverer. And he will deliver you right where you are, from wherever you are, in whatever you're in. 
Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's have two prayers. Um, the, the first is this. If you realize that there's a temptation or an accusation, holiness and mercy, and there's a low view of one and a high view of the other, and there's not this, this balance of both, and you need Jesus to balance those things, and you realize I'm being tempted and I'm inviting Jesus to deliver me from that. If that's you, just put a hand up. I've got my hand up too. All across our locations, you'd simply say, Jesus, thank you. I have capacity to sin, but I choose, Lord. I choose to remember your grace. I see what it costs you to pay for my grace, to pay for my sin. Thank you, Lord, that you've not lost me. You've got me by the right hand. I'm not dragged away by the enemy. You've got my hand. My hand is in you. Now for everybody else right here where you are, there online, you're listening and the truth is, listen, everybody. You need to surrender your life to Jesus today because the biggest, the biggest issue is you've not invited Jesus to be the center of your life. And if that's you, you just need to say right now, Jesus, I surrender. My feet were in a slippery place, but you're a good God. And I just ask you, Lord, to place my feet on a solid place. Take my sin away. Give me a fresh start today. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for loving me so much you would give me this moment to recenter my heart and my affections and my life around you. And I ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.